the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. AM 560 WFIL, it's the Tim DeMoss Show. And I am very uh, glad to bring to you a special guest today, someone who shares the same last name, my cousin Mark DeMoss. How you doing? Great. Good to be back in Philadelphia. Thanks for stopping in. Where I was born. Yeah. You're in Georgia, right? Yes, Atlanta area. Have you been there ever since? Just about. Yeah, I've been basically gone from Philadelphia for since the mid-80s, probably. Okay. Wow. Do you still retain a Philadelphia sports interest, or is it mostly a... I do. I thought you were going to ask if I still retain an accent. I don't think I do. I don't think I do. Nobody no. in the South asks me if I'm from Philadelphia okay. anymore. But, um, yeah, I do still follow Philadelphia sports. Okay. But you also care about what's going on in Georgia. I do. And How about college, college yeah. football is a big deal yeah. down our way. Well, and they've had quite a stretch the last few years especially. So, well, you know, this conversation may delve into personal stories a little bit as we go. But The Little Red Book of Wisdom is a book you wrote originally. When it's in my hands here, we want to talk about. And this book came out, the first time was 2007. Okay. And then uh, revised in 2011. And then this year, 23, we released it again, updated and expanded. I've written two new chapters in it, and we've really rewrote every page. So it's fresh. And I'm excited about it. Yeah. Well, you have two, and rightly so. And I believe you're right in the book that wisdom is caught, not taught as much. Mm-hmm. As, and therefore, your experiences from 2007 to 11 to 23, you're picking up more as you go. Yeah, I really think, you know, I, I've, I've always felt that people tended to believe that wisdom was reserved for older people or more educated people or people in positions of power, and I just think that's wrong. I think wisdom's, well, the Bible tells us it's available if we ask for it, uh, if anybody lacks it, to ask of it from God. But I think it's available to all of us, and there are ways we can get it and tap into it that are right really at our fingertips. And so I don't, I'm not claiming any, um, that's why I've revised it twice now. I, I'm not claiming any corner on wisdom, but I've been fortunate to uh, spend my life around wise people in the, I've spent most of my adult life in what I consider the greatest textbook on wisdom, uh, the book of Proverbs. Yeah. And, um, and so my life experiences, my professional work, my Daily reading habits have all given me insights on wisdom that I'm renewing really every morning. Just to anyone we're chatting with my cousin Mark DeMoss. Mark uh, has this book, The Little Red Book of Wisdom, which has been updated and expanded. Mark's dad and my dad were brothers. You talk about your dad, Arthur, who went to be with the Lord 40 plus years ago, and my dad just months ago. I'm glad they're able to 
reconnect. I'm sure that must be something. But talk about your dad, too. Well, my dad was my hero, and I consider also the wisest person I've ever known. He died at 53 when I was just 17, um, just before the start of my senior year of high school. I was one of seven children. And um, it's an interesting thing, too, because when I I came back to Philadelphia for uh, your father's funeral not many months ago, and the idea, both very wise men, but the idea that two brothers would die at age 53 and 95 is remarkable. It's hard to get my head around. But it also illustrates... It illustrates a lot. The last chapter in this book is called Finishing Well, Mm. and it's written from observations that I've had of people that didn't finish well and those who did. But I make the I make the observation that uh, my definition for finishing well is living well until you're finished living. And none of us knows where our finish line is. So here my father's finish line was at 53 your father's was at 95. My younger brother's finish line was at 22. He was Man. killed in a car accident here in Philadelphia. Right. And so people that think about finishing well as something down the road for people in their 70s or 80s is really a wrong thought because your finish line could be tomorrow. And so I encourage people to think about living well today. And that's we can we can manage that, right? We can sort of get our head around what living well today means and then tomorrow do the same thing again as opposed <laughs> right. to thinking about gee I've got a, another 40 years I've got to like you know live well and do right and be all that I'm supposed to be it's a hard thing to get your head around so. or I'll get to it later I, I, I'll get to living well in that area later yeah that's good. Well, and the book is, itself is broken into two sections, wisdom for your professional life and wisdom for your personal life. And obviously your dad affected both of those greatly. I mean, you could talk all day about just your dad. So, But you, you start the book off talking about your wife, April, and your dad, Arthur. So maybe pick one thing about each that you can think of that even to this day is very much a part of who you are and why you've lived the way you've lived. Well, from from my father, I learned, and again, I'm I'm 61 now. So I and he died when I was 17. So I've had, you know, I've lived twice as long without him as I did with him, or three times yeah. as long. But still impressed in me, in my mind and heart forever, is his understanding of the value of time mm. and being uh, not wasting time. When he died, he died. He had a heart attack playing tennis. When we got home from the hospital that Saturday, uh, Labor Day weekend, where he was pronounced dead, when we got home, my mother found on his nightstand, he was a prolific note taker. He always had a pad and pen wherever he was to write things down that he was thinking about. She found on his nightstand a piece of paper in his handwriting with uh, Psalm ninety twelve written on it. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. None of us knows when he wrote it or how long it had been sitting there. So we don't know if he wrote it that morning or a week before, but that was there. And it was really amazing because that captured him. He, he was watching the clock and being purposeful and and it wasn't that he didn't have fun and do fun things as a dad with his kids but you know we grew up this is a really foreign thought today but we grew up without television um, <laughs> in our house it wasn't that we weren't allowed to watch television we didn't own a television yeah 
And that wasn't because television was so bad or, or not appropriate for children. He didn't have television in the house because he thought it was a bad use of time. He wanted us to be readers and yeah. do other things besides watch television. So that would be my takeaway from him. For your dad, if you're just tuning in, Mark DeMoss, my cousin's with us today. The book is called The Little Red Book of Wisdom, uh, the updated, most updated version, 2023. And, and to your point, your dad, you wrote in your book, your dad is not was not like he was just frenetically running around. Blah, 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 blah. There was a quality to it, but there was an intentionality to not lose time here and there because you're not paying attention. Right. Then my wife, April, we've been married 35 years this year, and I've learned so much from her. We have three amazing children, all married, and are soon to have our sixth grandchild. From April, I've really learned that what's really important here on Earth, and people are important, and serving people is important, and being unselfish she's a she's a giver and a server and hospitable and anytime our kids call and say you know are you doing anything tomorrow she'll say no nothing what do you what do you want and she might have had a full schedule tomorrow but as far as they're concerned she's just sitting around waiting for them to say they need her help. Or. You have a chapter where, or, or was it, I just remember that people matter compared to something else. There was schedules or something else. Oh, yeah. What was the comparison? Um, yeah, it's not a chat. It's in a chapter. It's in a chapter. And I forget. There was a phrase that it was. Because it's easy to gravitate toward the things you want to do and accomplish, right. and things do need to get done, but that people matter. My wife does the same thing for me. But, for, like, that's a good lesson for, you know, men who can tend to be so driven and so busy and and I learned from her that no there's nothing more important than what our children are asking us for or what they need or what somebody really in need needs yeah and so April has taught me a lot that way joined by my cousin Mark DeMoss in studio today the book he's written is called the little red book of wisdom updated and expanded 2023 edition Back with more in just a moment. Listen to the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560, WFIL.com, and on the WFIL app. Live and local, it's the Tim DeMoss Show, weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560, WFIL, and at WFIL.com. Our podcast continues. AM 560, WFIL.com, and on the app, you're listening to The Tim DeMoss Show. Thank you for tuning in. Joined in studio by my cousin, Mark DeMoss. He's written a book called The Little Red Book of Wisdom. It's been updated and expanded. The book itself, uh, again, broken into two sections, Wisdom for Your Professional Life and Wisdom for Your Personal Life. The genesis of this book and the idea of wisdom itself, before you even getting to write a book like this, when did wisdom become big enough in your mind that you thought, I need to write a book, even though you're saying it's not the corner, it's not the be-all, end-all book about wisdom. Yeah, I think a couple of things led to this. And, you know, I was obviously much younger when I wrote it. I was, uh, I guess, 44 or so. And, in fact, I I remember telling my mother that uh, I'd gotten a publishing contract to write a book. 
And she said, "Oh, that's great. What's it about?" And I said, "It's a, it's about wisdom." And she said, "She said, aren't you kind of young to write a book about wisdom?" And yet, that's a that's a big point I'm trying to make. Wisdom is not the it's not an age. That market is not cornered by people in their seventies. Like we are entitled, we have wisdom available to us in our thirties and forties, and our children. I see such wisdom in in our children. And so I didn't want people to, I wanted to sort of break that stereotype that you had to be, you know, gray haired and a diplomat to write a book about wisdom. But the thing that really, I think the three things probably that led to this book, one was professionally, I, I was running a public relations firm. And so a big part of the public relations business is dispensing advice. It's wisdom. People say, uh, can I get your wisdom on this? Whatever. Yeah. In the blank. So professionally, that's the world. That's what I was living. Secondly, um, I had this habit that I got from my father of reading a chapter of Proverbs every day. Right. So there are 31 chapters in Proverbs. So every month you'll read the book of Proverbs all the way through. You'll read it 12 times through a year. So I've read what I would consider the greatest wisdom textbook. I've read it 350 times or something in my life. So that's part of me. And then the the thing that actually said, led me to say, I think I'm going to write a book is I was reading a business magazine on an airplane one day and I read a prominent business CEO had written a a book called so-and-so's laws of business. And it, it had these business principles and life principles that this person used and in his life. And the book had sort of a cult following where companies, big companies would buy like 4,000 copies and give it to their employees. Hmm. And I was reading these excerpts in this business magazine, and I kept saying to myself, gee, I've got some principles that I live by that I think are more... <laughs> On point? <laughs> well, more, <laughs> more, more, more like... More... Substantial th- th- or... More meaningful for, yeah. for life and eternity. And, and so that led me to start just jotting these things down, and that became this simple little book interesting very interesting if you're tuning in now or a chat with my cousin mark demoss he's in studio he has a book called the little red book of wisdom you gave me a copy back in 2007 when it first was written you mentioned you updated it in 2011 and again this year updated expanded for the professional half of the book you talk about i took a lot of notes uh but just give a quick overview you mentioned pr work why you got into PR work, and then I can pick a few of the chapters just to shine a light on in particular. But the PR work you were doing, share about how you got into it and what kind of work you were doing. So our PR firm was a pretty specialized niche. We worked exclusively with Christian organizations or Christian-owned companies. When I started this firm in 91, I believe, 1991, there was not a PR firm in the country working just with ministry organizations. It didn't exist. So I didn't know if that was good or bad, that it, <laughs> yeah. if there wasn't one. Maybe, maybe it wouldn't work. But And a lot of people told me it wouldn't work. But that's what I wanted to do. I was passionate about helping ministries. I loved PR and trying to, you know, shape opinion and help manage, you know, communications and messaging and navigating crises. I loved all that stuff. So I wanted to do it for things I cared about with Christian organizations. So we were really fortunate being first in that space. And then it just grew over time. And 
We had the privilege of, I, I closed it, as you mentioned, um, in 2019, but we had the privilege of working with so many great movements and events and world leaders. Um, Such as? Uh, we worked with the, the Billy Graham and Franklin Graham and Chuck Colson and Bill Bright, Campus Crusade, and yeah. Promise Keepers um, in its heyday. and Bill McCartney, right? He was a yes. coach of uh, Colorado. Yes. This was the world I was working in. And so I, I sort of developed certain principles and f- philosophies about business and public relations. And so I wrote about I wrote chapters like um, uh, The Amazing Power of Understatement and I Believe in Underpromising and Overdelivering, which is ironic because the, the PR world is sort of the opposite of that. The PR world is full of hype and sizzle and not a lot of meat too often. And so yeah. I, 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 I didn't want to be that. I wanted to uh, be the opposite of that, be more understated. And In your view of PR, just to clarify – is the relationship might be for a short season, like for a, a, a campaign, mm-hmm. or it could be a, a years-long thing where you're the sounding board ongoing. Just depends. Yes, exactly. So we had we had or- ministries that we worked with every month for 27, 28 years of our wow. of our lifespan as a PR firm, and so we would help promote. You know, I mean, we I remember being involved the very first day that. A Samaritan's Purse collected a shoebox for something that's called Operation Christmas Child that's wow. now delivered you know, over 100 million shoeboxes to kids. Yeah. I mean, we were involved in that from the ground floor. So we would help promote that and help make people aware of it and take media along to delivery trips to Bosnia or wherever in the world and draw attention to it. So a lot of it is was very positive and, you know, uplifting and exciting. And then there were some parts of it that were sad and we were picking up pieces from a scandal or a, a moral failure yeah. of a leader. And I write about that, too, in this book in the last chapter called Finishing Well. I don't name names, but yeah. it, it's a sobering well, part of my career. And I'm, I I want to mention this too. Just tuning in, Mark DeMoss, my cousin's in studio with me today. He's written a book called The Little Red Book of Wisdom. Came out originally in 2007. It's been updated a couple of times, including this year. If someone wants to get this, I'm thinking there are multiple ways they can benefit. But you're writing from, you know, knowing the Lord, loving the Lord. So you're talking about business practices. And from a corporate standpoint, too, if someone's in corporate, the corporate world, they can certainly benefit. Or someone even has a small business. And then there's also the personal application of it. So there's a lot of other questions that are popping up in my head. One of the themes that came through in the professional half of the book had to do with what's important in PR, including being honest Mm -hmm. or walking away from a contract when you would have loved to have had the contract, certainly because it was lucrative or even knowing when to say no. I think there was a sports drink part where you talked about like that could work for us. And that also dovetailed back into the part where you talked about staying under your umbrella and not getting spread too thin. And before long, you're off course. So there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack. Yes, uh, and and those are generally there's not a uh, like a biblically right or wrong to some of those uh, things that I'm writing about, and um, more of a wise, but, unwise. But, but I, I like the 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 idea of uh, of staying under the umbrella, which was not my phrase, came from this missionary. Especially today when people, you know, will, you know, I hired people in my career and you'd look at resumes and you'd see people that had had, you know, 
eight jobs in the last 10 years. And sometimes there's good reason for that, but sometimes it's just a lack of focus or commitment to a cause or an organization or a company. And so I, I wrote about that. I like, there's a chapter called Shut Up and Listen about, yes. um, you know, listening more than we talk. And the, the art of listening is, is kind of lost uh, today, I think, especially if you watch a congressional hearing or, a, right. a, you know, a, a situation where senators are supposed to be interviewing, um, let's say, a Supreme Court nominee and the senators are doing all the talking and the nominee is, you know, sitting there. And so I, I speak to that a little bit. A lot of it, I think, is counterintuitive. The one part about the, the, the chapter about thinking, that guy gets paid lots of money to think. Yes. Uh, so I write uh, that chapter is called uh, Work Less, Think More. And um, that so much of our world is based on doing and going and producing and printing and publishing and meeting schedules and meeting deadlines and doing, doing, doing. And oftentimes the doing is being done without thinking that would stop and say, now, why are we doing this? And because oh, we, we've been mailing that newsletter for 40 years. Well, do you ever think about this? And, yeah. and so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little, I'm kind of wired, I think, a little counterintuitively. And I, I'm just trying to provoke a little bit of thinking and yeah. rethinking about, you know, why we do what we do. And so I've been encouraged by, you know, I'm amazed that a book, honestly, is still getting circulated and being used by the Lord and getting into new hands and being republished is still kind of sobering to me. My older and wiser cousin, Mark DeMoss, joining me in the studio today, talking about his book, The Little Red Book of Wisdom. Came out in 2007 originally, has been updated a couple of times, including 2023. We'll keep our conversation going in just a moment. Listen to The Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560, WFIL.com, and on the WFIL app. Have a guest you'd like to hear on The Tim DeMoss Show on AM 560, WFIL. Email Timmy D at WFIL.com. AM 560, WFIL.com, and on the app, you're listening to The Tim DeMoss Show. Thank you for tuning in. My cousin Mark DeMoss in studio with me today. We're chatting about a lot of things, including a book he wrote in 2007 and has updated a couple of times, including in 2023, called The Little Red Book of Wisdom. One of the things, too, that you have in the Little Red Book of Wisdom is a chapter about letter writing. Mm. Uh, when I applied for Might be my favorite. Yeah? Well, you talk about that, and I'm going to tell you a quick little thing on the, on the back end. But, yeah. I think letter writing is a lost art and, and a lost practice, and it's pretty hopeless, honestly, in light of technology and communication avenues that are available now of texting and emailing and so on. I still write old-fashioned letters on real paper with a real envelope that you have to lick and put a stamp on it and put it in a mailbox. And I'll just say this. The, the, I, I make this point that the, the impact of a letter always exceeds the effort that it took to write the letter. And I've... I meet people who tell me about a letter I wrote them a long time ago. I may have even forgotten that I wrote it. 
or in one case, a, a story of a guy that has a letter that I wrote him framed in his office. It's a very successful lawyer in D.C. We'd call him a power broker. Has a letter framed in his office that I sent him. You won't find anybody that has your email framed on their wall <laughs> or your text message framed. Right? right they're right. so they're so fleeing. Fleeting. Yeah. yeah. So I really, uh, I'm a big believer in still writing letters to people. And I write, I have no idea how many, but every day I would write probably a couple for a hundred different reasons. So uh, maybe you can tell me one or two of those. And I'll just quickly tell you when I applied for the job here in 2018. My brother, Bob, after I interviewed with our general manager, Lorenzo Caldara, who's still here, my brother, Bob, said, Tim, write him a thank you note, mm-hmm. uh, mail it to him. Just for interviewing you, right? I, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. I hadn't been hired or anything. Yeah. And I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. He says, if you email him, that's fine. He can delete that. He can file it. It's gone. If you give him something, he physically has to touch it. He has to open it. He has to... Then he'll take it out of the envelope, read it, and then he has to do something with it. <laughs> he may toss it, but he may put it on his desk. And it's a physical reminder that far out, you know, outshines the electronic. Ver- and it actually also shows you that you took time to write it yourself. Everybody knows if you wrote a letter, it's like, wow, the person took time for me. So I, don't, I never asked Lorenzo actually about that, but I remember the advice my brother Bob gave me. And it sounds like something similar to one of the reasons maybe you know as someone in PR for all these years. You put it in writing, you put it in a thing, it shows effort and care. I think it's one of the most powerful things, honestly, in in the world today. No kidding. And especially when you write letters, it's easy to write a letter if you if you have an angle, if you're trying to impress, you know, somebody or, or you want something from somebody or but if you write a letter with no motive other than to encourage somebody or bless somebody, it's so powerful. One day I told this story in there in that chapter when my oldest daughter, who now has three boys of her own, was in high school, her junior, senior year. I went in her room to tell her good night, and she'd had a tough day. I knew she'd had a tough day. And she was sitting on her bed flipping through this box. I said, what's that? She said, it's my letter box. I didn't know she had a letter box. She's kept every letter people have sent her, and she was going through it for encouragement that night. How powerful is that? You can write a letter in three or four minutes and really impact somebody's day or their week or their life. Wow. That's something. That's great. Mark DeMoss, my guest today on the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL in Philadelphia. Yes, we have the same last name, Mark's dad and my dad, brothers, both with the Lord now, celebrating and waiting for us to get there eventually. And maybe, you never know, sooner rather than later. Uh, The Little Red Book of Wisdom is a book Mark wrote some years ago and has newly updated it. You mentioned one thing, and maybe we can shift it a little bit into the personal side of things, too. The personal half of the book. You mentioned reading Proverbs every day. I remember my dad telling me if I read five Psalms and one proverb each day, I could read all of Psalms and all of Proverbs in a month. And I did that sometimes. Sometimes there's a lot of reading, and especially if you Mm -hmm. hit the certain Psalms are really long. I'd peek your head and say, oh, good, this Psalm only has four verses. I can get through that. I'll help them average down. But the Proverbs part for me, and I've done that. Um, I don't know, three or four dozen months time over over my lifetime. Sometimes I feel like I need to stop after three verses or four verses. There's so much in one one verse Mm -hmm. in Proverbs. You ever feel that way when you're reading through Proverbs? Like, I can't keep all all this wisdom in my head in one sitting. Yeah, I do. But I'll tell you why I like to read a chapter 
every day for the rest of my life. A chapter of Proverbs. Yeah. One, I've, I'm convinced if somebody was not even a Christian and never looked at anything in the Bible except the book of Proverbs, I think if you read Proverbs every day, even as a heathen, you would become a better man or woman, a better husband or wife, a better father or mother, a better employee, a better employer, a better negotiator, a better conflict resolution manager, better at managing anger controlling your tongue so it's so full of very simple but profound insights and the reason i like to read it this way which i got from my father you sounds like you got it from your father yeah as a daily discipline is i know that every admonition or caution or insight that i read and sometimes it's like a flashing warning light i'm going to read it again next month and I'm going to read it again the next month. It's a constant reminder. There's a uh, I, I like I love to tell this story. This happened exactly the way I'm going to tell it. One morning I was getting uh, I was reading my Bible and April was getting ready and she was a little running behind to get out the door that day. And she saw I sat down to read my Bible. She said, "Read me whatever you're reading. Just read it out loud." <laughs> and I I turned to that day's proverb and I read the subheading the chapter heading on that chapter and I said to her it's about the crafty harlot do you want to hear it (laughs) and she said she didn't miss a beat she said no but I want you to hear it go ahead and read it out loud and like this is good stuff this is a constant reminder that hey if I don't like pay attention I could get off track here but I'm going to get this reminder today and I'm going to get it 30 days from now. 30 days from now, I'm going to get it again. And 30 days, I'm going to get it again. And I'm going to get it 12 times this year. Yes. And and I just think it's so yeah. powerful. When, uh, when our son, who's now 32, was graduating from high school the night before his graduation, I wrote him a letter and put it on his bed and just commending him for being a fine kid and... The next morning of his, the day of his graduation, he put a note, he put a letter on my desk at home. And I read this letter, and I'll never forget this the rest of my life. He's, he's, he just thanked me for my letter, and then he said, P.S., I've read a chapter of Proverbs every day since eighth grade because of you. And I didn't know he was doing it. So my 32-year-old son's now read this textbook like 200 times. He's ahead of me. On that, I didn't start that young. I didn't start in eighth grade reading Proverbs every day. Wow. And I thought, man, I like we're all fallible, but I like his chances of finishing well. Yeah. And he's and he loves the Lord. He loves his wife. He's about to have their first baby. He's been married uh, 10 or 11 years. Yeah. And so this is a powerful book. I, and the thing, maybe the most encouraging thing I hear, I get a lot, you know, you get all kinds of responses from a book. People drop you a note and say, uh, your chapter on letter writing really inspired me, so I'm writing you, and I'm going to write a letter a day. And But when people tell me I started reading Proverbs every day because of this chapter, I call, it's called a proverb a day, um, that really encourages me because that's that's a meaningful takeaway here. Yeah. Do you have a favorite proverb you can think of or a couple? Oh, man. Um, no, that, that's an unfair question because you yeah, love so much. But, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you one right now yeah. that that, uh, that underscores what I'm th- this 
daily habit. There's there's a verse in chapter eight of Proverbs that uh, talks about watching. It's chapter eight is wisdom speaking. It's as if wisdom is the writer, and it says. Uh, Something like, blessed is a man who watches daily at my gatepost. Yes. And what does that mean? Well, to me, that means watching daily uh, to get wisdom would be reading this book every day. That's watching daily at the gatepost. And, um, well, and to your point, we need the rem- a lot of the Christian life is being reminded of things we, we have learned. We keep learning and growing. Mm-hmm. But your point of the monthly 30-day reminder that's a great case for, yeah, you may, because I, I, I know there are times where I've read the first two or verses of a chapter and I stopped because I'm like, I just want to think on this. But I also like, I want to, I don't, because I don't want to read it just because I have to read it or it's, it's, it's part of my, I got to do it because whatever. But that's a great reminder because it gets stronger over time when you hear it for the ninth time, the 10th time, the 50th time, it gets burned in your brain. I'm thinking of Proverbs twenty five fifteen to your point, counterintuitive you used earlier. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Mm-hmm. When you think you, that's not that's not human human wisdom is yell louder when you're in an argument, put the other person down, shove them, call names. A gentle tongue can break a bone. That's powerful. Proverbs twenty five fifty. The, the, um, the guardrails that Proverbs offers, the guardrails for our lives to protect us from trouble are really sobering to me, too, because in my professional life, I unfortunately was, you know, witness to a whole lot of moral failures of great leaders. Hmm. And yet you see in Proverbs, especially talking about moral failure, sexually, adultery, there's more than one occasion that writes about the men who were who sort of fell victim to these this woman all were strong men. How did strong men fall to this? We look around and say, well, um, you know, that person must have been weak if they fell so easily. Proverbs says they were strong men, and they still fell. So, man, I need these guardrails. That's what April was talking about. That's why April wanted me to hear that that passage that again as a, just a, another flashing warning light. Yeah. So I can't think of anything more practical than doing this, reading Proverbs every day. My cousin Mark DeMoss joining us today on our program. Little Red Book of Wisdom is something he put together in 2007, updated it in 2011, and again in 2023. We'll keep our conversation going in just a moment. You're listening to The Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560, WFIL, and the WFIL app. It's The Tim DeMoss Show podcast, available at WFIL.com. Thanks for listening. AM 560, WFIL. My cousin Mark DeMoss has been kind enough to hang out today with me on the Tim DeMoss Show on WFIL in Philadelphia. Mark's dad and my dad, brothers, and the book we've been chatting about, The Little Red Book of Wisdom, came out in 2007, updated in 2011, and now updated another time in 2023, uh, updated and expanded. And uh, on the on the personal side of things throw it just throw it wide open and or overall your hopes for people who pick this book up my biggest hope would be that people stop thinking about wisdom as uh the personal property of somebody else somebody further down the road in life than them somebody older 
and start to think about wisdom is for me. It's for my children. It's for my grandchildren. It's not just for, you know, my parents and grandparents. I want to sort of shatter that idea that you've got to be, you know, 80 years old and have been a wise old sage before you can help other people. And even smarter, right? Maybe maybe some people don't feel like they're smart enough to be wise or something. That's just the people who have a high IQ or higher IQ than I have. Yeah, well, there's some people, some very wise people that had very little formal education. I know that. Yeah. And so, yeah, that correlation, I, I would like to break some sort of stereotypical correlations. That's good. That people make with wisdom. And if people don't realize that, I mean, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if you want to get wise, start by serving the Lord. Keep it simple, first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Let me ask about this, too. One of the questions about wisdom in general, because I've been thinking about this for the first time the other day. We've been praying for wisdom about our son, Toby, and his medical stuff. I've shared that on the air with with our listening audience. It started to occur to me that sometimes when I pray for wisdom, I'm looking for an exact answer as opposed to maybe guidance or strong guidance. And uh, so what are your thoughts on wisdom from that perspective rather than is it green or red, Lord, which one versus? You know, both of us were blessed with great fathers. My father used to say most people don't really want God's will for their life. They want God to bless their will. We, I think we go into a lot of situations saying, Lord, would you please do this or heal this person or open up this job? And those are really typically our will. We want his blessing or endorsement of it or we want him just to deliver it to us, right? Yeah. And um, and I, I think there's a there, there's such a power. I think, you know, the, the doctrine of sovereignty and providence are so powerful and they're so liberating too. one of my favorite lines in this book. It's in one of the two new chapters, the chapter on gratitude. My pastor friend in Montana, Levi Lusco, says in his providence, God can redeem what in his sovereignty he didn't prevent. That's a powerful thought. God can take something we don't understand why in his sovereignty he allowed it because he could have not. He could have prevented it. Right. He could have prevented in his sovereignty. He could have prevented Toby from being injured. injured. Yeah. But he didn't prevent it. But in his providence, he can redeem it. And so I believe God's redeeming a lot of things. That I, and I, the, the reason I introduced that in that chapter was our, we had two grandsons that were horribly uh, mauled by two Rottweilers. Uh, they were six and eight at the time. And um, that quote came to me because God obviously didn't prevent them being attacked, but he's redeeming it in a lot of powerful ways. A lot of stories we don't have time for me to go into. But So I think that's wisdom, too, is is just resting in God's sovereignty, but also God's providence. And... Um, but I, I want to make it really clear, too. I Even though I've written a book now that's been republished twice, I know I don't have any corner on the wisdom market. I'm still – I call – in the very beginning, I point out that wisdom's a journey, and we don't ever arrive. You know, you don't ever get yeah. your master wisdom certification. But I think you can um, – if you're wise with your time and what you read and put inside your heart and mind – you can be wiser than the person that's not doing those things. Yeah, that's good. 
Man, I'm glad we could have you. Uh, I'm glad it worked out for you to be be here today, too. We could do this on the phone, but it's nice to have this you across the console yeah. and all that. I'm looking forward to um, sharing this with our kids when we get together. And I know my sister, uh, when I told her you're going to be on the program, my sister Becky, she was like, she didn't know that it had been updated, I think. And she has the original copy and all that. So looking forward to maybe getting her a copy, too. So, uh, yeah, this is good. Can I make one housekeeping? Of course. For sure. Not really a plug. Just if anybody goes to find the book, make sure you buy, because I think the old version is still available in some places. Yeah. Make sure, this one is paperback. The first two were in hardback. So make sure you get the paperback. It says updated and expanded on okay. the cover. But I'd, I'd hate, I really don't want anybody to buy the older version because this, this one's better. All the chapters from the first two versions are still in this book. Yeah. They've just been updated. New illustrations, new statistics, and then there are two brand new chapters, one on practicing gratitude and the other on finishing well. Yeah. So I just would hate for somebody to spend the money and get the older edition sure. when this is much more current and and has these two chapters that the other is there, have. Is there a best way, would you say, to look for the one you're, I mean, Amazon um, and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, anywhere you would buy books, but I, I noticed actually by accident that the Sometimes if you go pull it up or Google it, the older edition will yeah, still... Yeah, because it's already sold books. So that'll come up It'll still show up, and it would be easy for someone to buy it and say, well, I didn't, I didn't see that thing about gratitude. What's he yeah. talking about? So, but I'm uh, I'm just, I'm honored to be on with you back in my stomping, stomping grounds, grounds <laughs> and uh, keep up doing what you're doing. You too. And, and maybe as a, just to wrap up, a PS to this, you mentioned the two new chapters, Gratitude and Finishing Well. Give a just a, a quick summary of, of, of what why those made why those two chapters were so important for you to put in here. Well, gratitude, practicing gratitude, I I think is and it, that was prompted really by this accident our two grandsons were in with these dogs um, mm. because I was full of so much emotion. I still remember this has been two and a half years ago, but I still remember driving home from the hospital the first night. And they were both in surgery for like five hours. There's so many emotions you can have about being angry at the owner of the dogs and why didn't she have these dogs properly fenced and restrained. And But as I laid my head to go to sleep, the emotion that overtook all the others was gratitude because these two boys were alive and they were going to heal and they and there was a, there were miracles even about how they made it to get to the hospital. God put two people at the scene, an ex-Marine and another neighbor. There, there was an ex-Marine who was a pool contractor, swimming pool contractor, putting in a underground pool at a house next door. He heard these boys screaming. It's, this was after 6 o'clock. He should have been done for the day. Yeah. And so you see little things like that, and I say, how can I have any emotion other than gratitude? So that's what that chapter is really about. And then the finishing well was a, has really been a burden of mine because in my PR career, I saw way too many people not finish well, blow up in smoke of scandal or immorality or uh, impropriety. And I wanted to take some lessons from that and write about, you know, what I've observed. This is not a judge, a chapter of judgment. It's a chapter of really sobering observation from 40 years of watching 
a lot of people not finish well. And I wanted to see if I could put my arms around some common denominators and people that didn't finish well. And conversely, common denominators of people who did finish well, like your father and my father. And also, just as wisdom isn't for older people alone, the idea of finishing well shouldn't be a subject just for older people. I gave this a talk about this today at at a college. And um, like, why would I talk to college kids about finishing well? They're not thinking about finishing well. Well, if you realize that hmm. you don't know where your finish line is, you might think about finishing well. Because the only, the only guaranteed way to finish well is to live well today. Because you might be finished tonight. Yeah. So that's the only guarantee. No, nobody can tell you. You know, I can't guarantee you that I'd be faithful to my wife until I die. I can guarantee I'll be faithful to her today. Yeah. And then tomorrow I'll have to be faithful to her tomorrow. I can't, you know, I can't (laughs) predict that I would read my Bible every day until I die. But I read it this morning. Tomorrow I'm going to read it tomorrow. So I I tried to take this this long range idea of finishing well and and condense it to today, living well today. So that's what those two new chapters are about. That's great. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for letting me. For making fun. time, for taking time. I have one of our local pastors says you can't make time or find time, but you can take time. I have never forgotten that. Another piece of wisdom. The little red book of wisdom. My cousin Mark DeMoss has written this updated and expanded. If you're interested in getting a copy, make sure you look for the updated and expanded 2023 version. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show, AM 560, WFIL.com, and on the WFIL app. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.